What's up, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have certified life coach, speaker, Christian counselor, and author of this informative life bio, Wife After Prison, Sheila Bruno. I read your book, and your book is called The Wife After Prison. I'm sorry, Wife, and it's not Life, it's Wife After Prison. Yeah. And it is a good, it's a great read, y'all. I mean, an excellent read. And it it begins in a very unlikely setting, which that threw me off. <laughs> the setting itself. Let's just yeah. go there. Yeah. And and I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. And um and it feels like you're reading a fairy tale that starts off and then it has a very realistic middle. And then it has almost like you're like, oh my God, what what's going on? And then a very satisfying, but a realistic ending and an informative ending at that. Yeah. So um, first I want to start off, was it hard for you to just pour out and put all of your business and your husband's business out to the world? And then we'll go into a little bit deeper what the book is about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was hard uh, to tell my truth. Mm-hmm. And hear my story, but um, just can I can I just share a little with the, about the story, and then I'll go into how just a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because in the title, "Wife After Prison," is something that God had given me, and the caught in the aftermath is just what I was. I have never been to prison, right? A lot of people think that I had been to prison, but no. But uh, as we get more into the conversation, it was, it was difficult to bear all and to just pull the sheets back on your relationship and talk about mental health issues, the mental health issues that my husband had. So it, it was, it was difficult. You know, I had to just kind of incubate that in the wound of my mind before I could birth it through the canal of my mouth, but I had to get it out of there. Mm-hmm. Now that's, you know, which goes me into the title of the book. Cause when you see the title, it gives you the impression, which you start talking about that in the intro, like you think that it's talking about you were the one that was in prison and that's not the case. So what made you make the title that way? Like I say, again, uh, it was something that God had gave, uh, given me and it was in the middle of my husband and I, uh, you know, met, uh, reconnected after 38 years, seven days later, uh, he had proposed to me 53 days later. I said, I do. We were married. Right. And so mm-hmm. the first two and a half years, Kevin was even amazing, just an amazing husband. Sometimes I couldn't even put into word just how amazing he was, but going into that third year, my, the narrative of my story began to change. And we began to struggle and he was struggling with the mental health issues. And in the midst of that struggle, I was lying in bed one night and God said, wife after prison. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now in your book, you said that you noticed that your husband was changing and that's when you cried out to God. But you did something else that a lot of us church folks don't do after we cry out to God, you jumped on the computer and you start Googling. Absolutely. Faith without works is dead. You got to put in the work. Yeah. Right. Right. I had been uh, praying, God, what has happened? What Mm -hmm. has caused a man who had said he prayed for me? A man who said, this is my soulmate. Only to begin treating me like a soulmate. My husband was in prison for over a quarter of a century, 28 years. And so, yeah, when his behavior began to change, I needed to know, God, what has happened to this amazing man? And at the time, Kevin and I separated, had separated three times within a period of a year, year and a half, near divorce. 
And during one of the times when we were separated, I'm crying, eating sleeping pills. That had become my meal of choice. And then mm -hmm. God said, Google, can a boy become a man in prison? And, you know, I reached over and grabbed the laptop that now occupied the space that Kevin used to sleep. And as fast as I could, I typed, can a boy become a man in prison? And that was my answer. It was two websites, uh, a list of websites, but the first two. The first one was the psychological impact of incarceration by American psychologist Craig Haney. And what I read is what I was living. And then the wow. second one, post-incarceration syndrome and relapse by another American psychologist, Terry Gorski. What I read was what I was living, so I had my answer. Wow. Now, can you tell us what that is? What is post-incarceration syndrome? What is that? Post-incarceration syndrome is a set of mental disorders that mm -hmm. occur in those who are currently incarcerated, released, most severe in those who have spent, have spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. Their mm -hmm. symptoms are antisocial uh, deprivation, PTSD, social sensory, uh, depra uh, social sensory, sensory deprivation, uh, uh, drug abuse. All of these make up the uh, post-incarceration syndrome. Another one is institutionalized personality trait. So all of these is what I was seeing in my husband with the exception of drug and alcohol because he's never used drug and alcohol before. But mm -hmm. all of that I was seeing and I didn't know what it was because I really have never had any dealings with mental health or mental health issues in, in what that looked like, right? Mm -hmm. But it, after I started reading that and the thing about it, I sent him this information and said, can you just read this? And then he read it and he confirmed, yeah, this is what I'm going through. This is exactly wow. what I'm going through. Yeah. Okay. So when you sent him that information and he willingly read that information and did you both decide that maybe the two of you should go to counseling at that time or did it happen over time? But by then I needed support for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm taking you off the table right now because I was so worn down into a place I had never been in my life. I needed some support for me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the first thing that we decided that we needed to be transparent about this. We needed to talk about this. I always get emotional, but um, I, I looked online for support groups after prison, after prison. I couldn't find anything on the internet. So one day I went to Facebook and in the search, and I wasn't big on Facebook back there, 2018. So I, in the search box, I keyed in prison wives and there was a slew, hundreds. If you go out there today and just uh, uh, search prison wives, you will be amazed. And so that's what I did. I joined 26 of those groups. Wow. And for days, and I, one day I just sit and I calculated the number and it was over 26,000 people. And so I just would go in the group. I wouldn't say anything because I didn't want to see what the temperature was like in the room. What are they talking about? Right. And then we were talking about the after prison experience. And so one day I typed in, have you heard of post-incarceration syndrome? I typed that in in all of the groups and everything started coming back, no, no. And so Kevin decided, we decided we need to talk about it. And so we begin to do Facebook Lives and sharing our stories. And that's when the cries start coming. Oh, my God, he's coming home and I'm scared. Or, oh, my God, had I known this 10 years ago, maybe me and my husband would still be together. And the most disheartening one was, oh, my God, had I known this, maybe my husband would still be alive. Because three days after he got out of prison, he committed suicide. And so people were asking what happened in three days. And I was like, no, nah, that ain't the question. The question is, what happened in prison that he couldn't live with on the outside? So I did go to counseling. Eventually, I went to counseling. And eventually, Kevin went to counseling. But we didn't have a marriage problem. We had a trauma problem. 
and we had what's called vicarious trauma that attached itself to me. His trauma attached itself to me. So I went to counseling and he went to counseling as well. Oh, so I went to separate counseling. Marriage wasn't, the marriage wasn't the problem. The marriage was not the problem. And this is what I want people to understand about post-incarceration syndrome and about trauma. You gotta consider the trauma. I never considered that my husband had told me within, when Kevin and I reconnected after 38 years, right? The first mm -hmm. day, within the first hour, he told me that when he came to, to school, because we went to school together, we dated in the ninth grade. He told me that his childhood was anything but idea. He wore a mask when he came to school. And he began to tell me about the childhood trauma that he experienced, right? And so mm -hmm. this is what I need people to understand. Trauma that's undealt with. And especially if you have had some type of traumatic experience at a childhood, it's undealt with, it's gonna come back up again, right? And so mm -hmm. that's, that's the trauma, consider the trauma. I didn't consider the trauma. And someone asked me this, Sheila, what would you have done differently? What I would have done differently when he had told me he had been in prison for 28 years, I would have said, okay, let me count the cost. Let me count the cost. What does this look like? What does 28 years of imprisonment look like? What does pre-incarceration trauma look like? What does trauma, incarcerated trauma look like? What does post-incarcerated trauma look like? I didn't look at any of that. And because I didn't, because I didn't, then that's how the, the pain that I experienced was a result of me not looking at all of this. So what I would have done differently is uh, counseling would have been a prerequisite before marriage and I would have definitely studied the psychological impact of incarceration. Yeah, but if you would have done it different, you wouldn't be doing this. And you know what? And let me tell you something. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, because so many years I, I would pray, God, what is my purpose? What did you create me for? I know I wasn't just created to have two children and contribute to the census and die. What did you create me for? And without a doubt, he created me for such a time as this. Because what nobody have in this conversation. Nobody's talking about post-incarceration syndrome. Nobody is talking about mental health as a result of prison. Nobody's talking about, nobody's talking about that, right? And so when I wrote my book, uh, I created what I knew. I know it's a lot of content, but I um, mm -hmm. created a private support group because I found out that there were thousands of Sheila's out there and thousands of Kevin's out there. So I created a private support group. And so I was posting information, you know, educating the women, equipping them, empowering them. And I said, Lord, I said, the women are getting it, but the men on the inside need to get it. And so I committed to donate a copy of my book to every prison in this country. And so far wow. I've completed 11 states and just to get reviews from the guys on the inside that say, thank you for writing your book. Yes, I, I saw that you, you got, you received yeah. a letter from an inmate. All the time. Thank yeah, I saw that. They say, thank you for writing your book. I now understand what's wrong with me. Thank mm -hmm. you for enlightening me, enlightening me. Mothers have said that about their sons. Miss Sheila, thank you for pinning your book because now I understand. And so that's my message. Seek to understand and not to deny that prison has side effects because it has side effects. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think, I know we don't recognize that. And that's the biggest problem. The biggest yeah. issue is that Society feels that once someone comes out of prison, they are reformed, no, 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 no. and that's the end of the story. No, 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 no. That that's it. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I have to put the disclaimer here because, you know, those are there are those who are in denial. And then mm-hmm. there are those who say, not my loved one, not my loved one. You know, he has gotten his bachelor's degree and he got associates, he got a master. And I said to that, I applaud that. Very good. So I say to that, intellectually, he's highly developed, but emotionally, I guarantee you, he's undeveloped because in prison, your emotions are suppressed, right? You can't cry. One guy told me, he said, I just want to cry. He said, I just want to know how it feels to feel. He said, mm-hmm. I'm numb. Because in prison, you don't show no emotions. You better not show any emotions. Yeah, yeah. showing yeah. emotions can get you killed, right? So you got all of these emotions. They didn't been in there 10 years, 20 years, 15 years. They got all of this stuff just suppressed down inside of them. So when they come out, that stuff just doesn't automatically reappear. Like one guy called me, he said, ma'am, he said, I don't feel anything. He said, and my girl don't understand. He said, she's taking it personal. Like, I don't want to be with her. He said, I just don't know how to feel. And I get that. And one lady, one husband said, I can't sleep in the bed with my wife. Hmm. He said, I haven't slept with anyone in 30 years. If somebody creep up behind me, I'm ready to shake them. So to have her in the bed with me and she make a sudden move, it may not be pretty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. <sighs> I know. I didn't even, I didn't even think about. Yeah, well, why? I mean, why would I? I mean, yeah. why, why would I think about yeah. it? Because, yeah. I mean, again, because I'm part of that mindset of thinking once they're out they should be okay no no, because there's really and again i have to make this disclaimer because every state is different and each prison is different and there are some prisons out there that who is in the business of rehabilitation but the majority of them are not right they're not and what i had to learn even from my husband the simplest things that we take for granted like i wrote in my book You know, even my husband didn't know how to clean the toilet. And I was like, clean the toilet? Mm -hmm. And and yeah, he said, babe, he said, I've been gone a long time. And he said, in prison, there's no, uh, there's metal toilets. And there's no toilet seat to let up and down. Mm -hmm. And he said, so I don't know. But the game changer was when he said, show me. He said, show me how to clean the toilet. And then I got a message from a wife. She said, Miss Sheila, she said, your book is playing out in in my house to include the toilet. And one lady told me she was so irritated with her loved one. She said, every time he walks out of the room, he leaves the light on. I said, ma'am, how long was he gone? She said, 25 years. I said, so in 25 years, he hasn't had to hit a light switch. So you're going to have to kindly, lovingly remind him. Or just turn the light off. I'm trying to, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Wow. To include intimacy. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Lack of. So so do you think that people should just automatically get help for anyone who comes out of uh, prison, no matter the length, no matter the length of time they've been in there. I do. I really, really do. And that's the first one of the first things that I do when guys get out and they contact me, especially here in my area, said, hey, let's get you hooked up with Harris help. Right. Let's get you hooked up to talk to somebody. And what I'm finding out is that you know, a lot of them refuse to talk to anybody because of their uh, lack of knowledge of what mental health is and what it is not. Uh, I have a client who went in at the age of 15. He came, he came out at 54, locked mm. out for a total of 39 years. And so I said to him, I said, when you first went to prison, 
did you have some type of mental health diagnosis? And he said, no, ma'am. I said, so, you know, you got transferred from unit to unit to unit. When you went to these units, did you have any type of mental health diagnosis? He said, no, ma'am. I said, you, you was gone 39 years. You had to have talked to somebody. He said, no, ma'am. I said, well, why didn't you go to medic? Why didn't you reach out? He said, Miss Bruno. He said, when I hear the words mental health, I think that that means that I'm crazy. And so what I'm finding out is when I debunk what mental health is and what it is not, then they're open for the conversation. Now, now what if someone does go into prison and they are diagnosed with a mental issue? prior to what do you what and they're in prison and they are clinical getting help while they're in there what 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 would you say to that type of a situation you know what i i, I haven't heard of such i haven't you know mm-hmm. i had a girl a guy who reached out uh who did 32 years and he said ma'am he said i listened at you on a podcast he said you were talking about Uh, adverse childhood experiences. He said, and it made me think about an experience I had as a child. And he said, I remember one time and he did 32 years. He'd been out about 10 months now. Uh, He said in 1990, he said, I had so much noise in my head. I went to talk to medic. He said, the first thing they want to do and this, and this is the reason a lot of guys in the Texas prisons, I can speak for Texas, don't go to medic is because the first th- thing that they want to do is put them on medication. And they then they walk around and they call it like uh, uh, bobbleheads, wobbleheads. They just walk around, you just medicate it out of it. So he said, I went to talk to a psychiatrist. That's the first thing that he wanted to do. He said, I left there very angry. Because here it is, I went to talk to somebody and the first thing they wanted to do was put me on this medication that would keep him asleep. And so the first time he had ever shared his childhood experience, his adverse childhood experience, that traumatic experience was with me a few months ago. So in the wow. Texas area, I, I I just know they 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 shy They just medicate. Back. They don't they don't help, they, they medicate. Right. They just medicate. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awful. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know how to process any of this, to be honest. I'm telling you. I'm trying, and that's why I'm so grateful for platforms such as yours because this is a needed conversation. And I started having this conversation in 2017, 2018 here in Texas. I would go around to uh, re-entry summits and re-entry conferences. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would talk about this. Nobody wanted to talk to me, talk to me. Like, what is she talking about? Don't, we don't talk about this, da, 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 da. So I just kept talking because I know that this is something that God wanted me to do. I know that it is. So you couldn't silence me because my yeah. silence would be a violation to those who need to hear this. And so now, you know, there's so many people who are reaching out. My calendar has never been as full as it is today, even internationally, because I refuse to uh, be quiet. And I'm finding out now that I am getting more messages and having more conversations with returning citizens who are saying, you're right. One guy reached out to me uh, a week before last. He said, ma'am, I did 21 and a half. He said, Hmm. I am a program director. He said, mentally, I'm messed up. He said, I'm good at helping everybody else. He said, I've been out five years and I'm struggling mentally. I said, well, my husband has been out 11 and he's Hmm. struggling. He's still struggling. Yeah. Now, now that you've written your book and you've been doing the work, has there been more like programs out about this issue or are you still like one of the few? One of the few. 
one of the few and what I'm working on now eventually is to uh, develop a program, a train the trainer program mm -hmm. so that I can train others on what I know and how to do what I do so they can take it to, to, the, to their cities, you know, take it to your county, take it to whomever. Because uh, it's, a, it's a conversation that definitely needs to be uh, heard. Uh, and again, anytime you get a man who has been in prison for all of these years and you just share just a little bit about it and he can relate and then he then accepts, yeah, something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And one guy got a letter week before last he said, I knew it was something wrong with me. He said, I knew it was something wrong with me. He said, it's always been at the back of my mind. He said, but I didn't have a name for it. I couldn't put a name for it. He said, so thank you. Can you send me some more information? And that's wow. what I'm ready to do. Now it's just, just to pour the information in it. Because I was like, I, I tell the ladies in the group, you know, you can't just get this information and hold on to it for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's men are coming out and some of them are coming out with raw, chaotic behavior. Mm -hmm. Raw. A lady reached out to me and she said, uh, can you call me now? She wasn't even on social media. She, I don't know how she found me. And she said, can you call me right now? So, okay. So I called her. Mm -hmm. She said, ma'am, I got a black eye. Jesus. She said, he, he's been out six months after serving 10 years and I got a black eye. I said, was he violent before prison? She said, he wasn't, he wasn't. Three weeks later, she called me. She said, ma'am, I got a dislocated jaw." Jesus. I said, ma'am, you can't stay there. You can't stay in that relationship right there. He has some learned behavior that needs to be unlearned. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be a victim. And so she called me uh, that following weekend. She said, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Alabama and I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to Atlanta. And she said, I'll call you when I get there. And that was on a Friday. And, uh, that's that Saturday I called that Sunday I called I never could get her and I haven't heard from her since then but yes the chaotic the learned uh, uh, behavior it comes out that back gate because some of these prisons are so violent that you're gonna have to fight to survive I had one group group member her guy got out Jan, he got out July 2019 and mm. I 2019 she posted in the group she said he's so isolated he just sits outside in his car all night long and that's that social sensory deprivation syndrome right mm -hmm. that was in October December the 23rd 2019 she went missing oh my god the 24th she was proud she was found in the trunk of her car with Jesus shot wounds. He had killed. Oh my God. And there's another guy that told me the social sensory deprivation. Another guy that told me, he said, I have to stay by myself. He said, because I was a fighter in prison. So he isolates himself intentionally because he doesn't know what he's going to do. Jesus. Right? So that's why I said, why isn't we talking about this? Here Jesus. it is, a lot of them suffer in silence. Like mm -hmm. the one guy told me, he said, I've been suffering in silence for five years. And to hear you talk about it, he said, it's refreshing to hear somebody talk about it. Yeah. So, so on December, I'm sorry, in May, on May the 29th, I'm going to have a roundtable discussion. I said, okay, well, let's just get a group of returning citizens together and mm -hmm. a group of mental health professionals together. Because this is the thing with these guys. If I talk about it, there's what's called exposure. If I bring all of this stuff up, if I ex expose all of this stuff 
and I hand it over to you. Will mm. you be able to help me? Right? Because if you don't have the right therapist, if you don't have the right psychiatrist, the right counselor, and I bring all this stuff up and you can't help me, guess what? It's stuck in my head. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it is with my husband. My husband, the first counselor that he went to, he came home after the first session and he said, she can't help me. He said, she can't help me. He said, she was too intrigued by the number of years I spent in prison versus listening at what I had to say. What was going on right now? He said, I'm going to give her one more shot. And he did. He went back that following week and he came home. He said, "Uh uh-uh. And that concerned me because it had had taken him so long to get to that point where he would go talk to somebody. And I'm like, oh, no, God, please, no. Please, Jesus, please. Right. Please let him find somebody ASAP. And then he did eventually find somebody else. And she cracked him open. Every time he came home, I could tell that he had been emotional. And one day I said, can I go with you? And he said, nope. And I said, cool, because I understand. And this is what family members need to understand, that there are some things that have occurred in their life. There are some things that occurred in prison, whether they were a part of it, they experienced it, they witnessed it, that they, that, that, that the family members will never know. And I had to be okay with that. One guy who did 40 years, he called me, he said, Michelle, I need to, I need to talk to somebody. He said, I saw somebody get their head cut off. He said, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't been able to sleep good at night. And this is when he was out. And this is the deal. You know, a lot of times in prison, you know, they don't get a chance to process that because they're in survival mode. They're watching their back, trying to make sure they ain't got stabbed. They, right. they're in survival mode. But once they come home, they have a lot of time and they can process some stuff. My husband walked over his best friend who had been stabbed 30 times. And when he got back to his cell, he looked down and he found out that he realized that the blood of his friend was on his shoe. He hadn't processed that. Yeah. So this is a lot. This is a lot of stuff. And this is some stuff that, uh, uh, we need to continue to talk about. And again, I appreciate you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Now yeah. you have a nonprofit organization, correct? That people non-profit. can actually get the help that they need, right? What, what they do with me is they come to me and like I say, here in Texas, I'm going to give you, we're going to get an application. And uh, because it's a community hospital, then mm-hmm. it may take some time. And that's why I'm looking to partner with mental health uh, uh, professionals who would donate some pro bono time to these guys. Mm -hmm. You know, there was one guy, he needed help. Like right now, I paid out of my pocket so that he could go and get the help that he needs. At least start the, the conversation. And so she could give him techniques and tools that he could uh that he could that could help him navigate his thinking when his thinking was off so this is what this is what uh wife after prison is, is about raising awareness putting the attention on it and then advocacy because the problem is consistent awareness is not a problem is consistent attention and advocacy is not and so i give voice to the psychological impact of incarceration is this a problem that are just for men or does this happen for women inmates as well? Post-incarceration syndrome does not discriminate. It's okay. for anybody. A lady hit me up and she said, I've been out 16 years. And she said, I'm still struggling. Mm. And she and I will connect and talk next week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's men and women. Men okay. and women. Just imagine being locked in your restroom with no window for 20 years and the only time that you're let out is for one hour a day you leave the confines of your restroom and they put you out on the street 
You have, you have no social skills. You haven't talked to anybody. Everything's new. Technology's yeah. new. Everything Cars are new. Everything yeah. is scary. I had one gentleman told me that he was afraid to cross the street. Because mm -hmm. when he left, he did so much time. When he left, they didn't have all this traffic stuff. They didn't mm -hmm. even have traffic lights. So he was afraid to cross the street. Another gentleman wow. got out after doing 50 years. And here in Texas, whether you do two years, three years, or 50 years, you're going to get $100. And so he took his $50. You get $50 when you leave the prison. You get mm -hmm. $50 on your first visit to see parole. He took that $50 and went to a liquor store. Mm -hmm. And he bought liquor. And he sat outside until he got drunk. He went back in, pretended that he was going to rob them, went back and sit outside and waited on the police. Stop it. And when the police came, he said, take me back. What am I supposed to be doing? You 50 years of my life and you give me $100. Take me back to prison. At least he know he got a bed. He got some food. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. October 19th. I'm sitting in, in, in a hotel in Florida. I wake up to a text that say, I want to go back. I was like, what, what the world? I want to go back. So I couldn't, couldn't call right then. And when I called, I recognized the voice. It mm -hmm. was someone who had did 21 years. And he said, Miss Bruno, I want to go back. He said, I got a good job. He said, I got money in the bank. He said, but this is too much. This is too much, the responsibilities of a life. He's never had to have responsibilities. And nobody teach you and train you and coach you and mentor you on that. So mm -hmm. I said, well, let me tell you this, going back is not an option. So you can take that one off the table. We'll work Come with on. it, but you, can't, you cannot go back. And in society today, nobody should get out of prison and desire to go back because of lack of support, whether it's from family, whether it's from the community, whomever. Nobody should, not in America, No, nobody should never say, I want to go back to prison. And that's a darn shame that that is the better option wanted in their mind, that that's so the better many, option so many wanting times, to go back. So many times. And, and, and the, the thing about it, even with my husband, you know, mm -hmm. my husband and I got together. I had been working overseas. I had a six-figure income consecutively. So when I we got together, he had maybe $700 worth of bills per month. And so I, I just took care of the majority of the things. I didn't want to pressure him. I didn't want to burden him. Um, so I just took care of the majority of the things. Mm -hmm. And uh, going into that third year, I was like, I need you to be more responsible. You know, I need you to be the head of the household. And I remember that day and we were like still in that really iffy part of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and he said, Sheila, he said, what does that look like? He said, prison strips you up responsibilities. He said, mm. you know what you want in a husband, but I don't know if I know how to be that man. In prison, you're told what to do, when to do it, what time to do it, when to stop doing it. And to come out of prison after serving over a quarter of a century, you went in as a boy. Now you come out and you're a husband. You don't know how to be a husband. You didn't even know how to be a little boy. Hmm. And so that played a lot of what he was dealing with. The responsibilities. Here it is. I got a wife. I got to be responsible. Yes. I got to you know, be the man of the household. And then the thing of it, to admit it, I don't know how to be that man. And to admit it to his wife. 
Right. Yes. But, yeah. But one thing I appreciate about him is he was one of the very first before I either he or I knew he was struggling. He used to say, I need to go talk to somebody. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay. You know, I'm just thinking, okay, baby, I support you, whatever you need to do, darling. <laughs> and I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But as his behavior changed, as he began to slam his hand on the table so hard that the items on the table would jump up, I was like, yeah, you need to go talk to somebody. Yeah. You really, really need to go talk to somebody. He had a job and just due to COVID in December, uh, they got rid of the re-entry program, but he worked in the same prison that he was released, uh, released from. Wow. Before they changed his office, his office was across the hall from the cell that he once occupied. How amazing oh, God. Wow. Yeah. The same back gate that he walked out of. Mm-hmm. He got to walk guys out of the back gate. My God. Yeah, yeah. And so, but he was one of the first to stand up in that prison and say, man, when y'all get out of here, y'all go get y'all some help. And a lot of them were in denial. Oh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Bruno, oh, Mr. Bruno, you don't know what you're talking about. But they have now. But he did know what he's talking about. He did know what he's talking about. And a lot of them now say, me too. They've raised mm. their hand to say, me too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My God. I mean, if I'm, I cannot tell y'all, if y'all don't get the book and read it, y'all missing out. This is a this is such a good book, and I'm so glad that I got to meet you and got to read this book. Yeah. And you're right, Jeremy. This is an amazing story, an amazing testimony of what true love, a godly love, will absolutely do. And I'm you two are amazing, amazing testimony. Yeah, and let me tell you this because I, Kevin and I decided that we were going to be transparent mm -hmm. from the front to the back, right? Mm -hmm. When a person does that type of time and depending on the type of trauma and his response to the trauma, he has since admitted that trauma, that, that therapy needs to be a lifestyle for him, right? Yes. When he stopped going to therapy. Saw a difference, didn't you? That person came back. I remember lying in the bed saying, oh God, please not again. Mm. Please not again. Those old behaviors begin to come back again to the point that I said, I'm calling it quits. Hmm. So I have since filed for divorce, but he's an amazing man. I love him dearly. Mm -hmm. But another thing is you have to be true to you. Yes. You have to be true to yourself. Yes. And in life, we all need boundaries, right? Yes. And coming out of prison with this reckless behavior, you're going to have to have some boundaries. Not only will you have to have boundaries, but you're going to have to be bold enough to, to uh, impose consequences for the actions if they cross the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's what I teach the women in the group. And so he's amazing. We will, we will continue to do this work together because he and I would go into the prisons together to share our stories. We'll continue to work together. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I decided that, you know, I filed, from the, filed for divorce. Okay, well, thank you for being transparent and honest. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't do that. No. So I, I, I thank yeah. you for doing that. 
Yeah. I, I really do. You didn't have to, yeah, but I no. thank you for doing that. Yeah, we, 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 we have always said, you know, our story, ever since we started doing the Facebook Lives to educate mm -hmm. people, you know, our story is an open book. There's certain mm -hmm. things that I didn't write in the book because I want to make sure that his character stays intact. I don't right. want anybody, you know, saying anything, whatever. I want to make sure his character stay intact at the same time, expose, expose the psychological impact of incarceration, not just incarceration, because a lot of them go inside again with pre-incarceration trauma. And when they go to prison, it's just exacerbated. It's just mm -hmm. blown up, right? And so mm -hmm. we, you know, we'll, we'll always be friends. It's not ugly. It's not ugly. Well, thank the Lord. Thank it's the not, Lord. Yeah. As, that, as they say, tell the truth and shame the devil. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's next for you? What's next for me? I am mm -hmm. going to continue to do the work that I'm doing uh, to educate not only those on the outside, those in the communities, uh, getting ready to you know, connect with some people that perhaps can write some bills and get some laws changed. Because when they come out of prison, even though they may have never had a drug or alcohol problem, you know, it's mandatory that most of them go to AA or NA meetings. No, why don't we make it mandatory that they go to uh, uh, counseling? Yes. Why don't Absolutely. we make it mandatory? Because again, this is a di disruption, not just to the person uh, that's coming out of prison. These men, some of these men, and I'm sure some women too, but I work with the men, they come home and they disrupt uh, the household. They tend to want to run the household like it's a penitentiary. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. So that's one of the things that I'm working on. Uh, eventually, I'm working on some curriculums. Uh, to get inside so the guys can begin to study and to understand what's going on with me, start doing some self-work because there is something that they can do while they're inside. Just don't do that time. Make sure you're doing something with that time. So right. and I'm finding out when you expose what's happening, then they're more uh, open and they're really concerned. I need to take a look at this. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. And yeah. how can people reach you? I can be reached on my social media platforms, uh, IG, LinkedIn, um, Facebook. I'm Wife After Prison. Um, my website is wifeafterprison.com. Uh, email address, Sheila, spelled S-A-E-L-I-A, at wifeafterprison.org. If you can have any song, be your theme song. When you walked into a room, what would it be and why? I don't even know the name, who, who wrote it, but it's Grateful. That's so okay. grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yes. I'm so, so grateful. In the midst yes. of all of this. He's I got faithful. chills when you said that, yes. He's still faithful, you know, through the pain of it all. And then just to think that he chose me. He chose to be, be the official lamb per se. Sheila, I just need to use your life for a little while. Mm -hmm. I got something I need to get out to the people. Just grateful that he chose me. Although painful as it was, my pain, I know, is for my purpose. Grateful. You are not going to make me cry. <laughs> Told you earlier, you're going to make me slide when his eyelashes off. <laughs> That's probably why I didn't put mine on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, I'm grateful that you are on here. Your grace and your beauty thank inside you. and out. I cannot thank you enough for doing thank this. And I'm glad that God told you yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And um, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And please, again, 
This book is on Amazon. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Get it. Yeah, it's available on Amazon. It's also available on my website. Please get it, get it, get it. Excellent read, excellent story. It will encourage you. And in this great information, if you know any family members, loved ones, friends who needs this valuable information, make sure you read it. So help one, help one another. Thank you, Sheila, for being on my show. I truly enjoyed your book. And most importantly, I enjoyed you. This information that you're bringing to the table is something that we all need to take note of. I thank God that you are using your story to help others through theirs. And if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, go to www.worldlychurchgirl.com and shoot me an email and let's see what we can do with that thing. And did you know Worldly Church Girl is live? That's right. You can actually see this very podcast. You can go to my Facebook page, my YouTube page, or even my Twitch page and see this very episode live. And oh yeah, have you subscribed yet? Why not? What are you waiting for? You don't want to miss another episode. And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.